Thank you for joining us. Blessed that you are watching this on this wonderful 4th of July weekend. As you may be able to see, I've got my red, white, and blue tie on. Celebrate all God's blessing he's put upon this country. And I'm blessed to be here and blessed to be able to share a message that uh, people long ago prepared a place where we can have freedom of worship. And over the years, lots of people have fought for freedom, and I'm blessed that we can be here. And I pray you're enjoying a wonderful time with your family and just spending some good quality time with them. I'd like to get a few words to you today uh, before we get into our message today about what's taking place next week on July 12th. That's Sunday, July 12th. Just a reminder to you, We're going to ask that you park in our side lots and in our front parking lots. There will also be some parking available back where we uh, park the buses all the way in the back corner. The Cary Street entrance will be closed because our service will be taking in the back side of our church, opposite Lawndale Drive, the back side of the church where the children's area is. And what we're asking you to do is simply drive in, but bring chairs with you. We're doing this so we can maximize our space. We don't have to be sitting in a car or getting hot if a car heats up in the sun or whatever. We want you to be outside from 9 to 10 o'clock. You will notice when you come, there are circles painted all through the parking area. I've got some boots to prove that we have marked those with a bright orange paint. Find a place where there was a circle. They're spaced far apart. You can sit there with your family. The great thing about bringing your own chairs as opposed to a car, cars have to face lots of different angles. It would be a logistical nightmare to try and get people to properly see. But with chairs, you can face them in toward where our music and where the sermon will be, and you can sit, wave to folks in those places near you, and have a great time of fellowship. Some have asked about masks. We will be outside. It is not, according to the governor, if you're able to be social distanced, it's not required you wear a mask. But if you want to wear a mask during that, that's fine. We're not requiring that, but we're just saying that's up to your prerogative to do that. We're going to come. The service will be at 9. We're trying to start at that time, so it's not hot at that point. And it'll close about 10 o'clock so that we don't get into the heat of the day. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. It's going to be great to see people just spread out over that lot, going to those places. Once again, that'll have, you'll see a circle. You can gather around those places. We've already spaced them out and sit down and be with the church family, which we haven't been with for so long. And I am excited about it. Thank you. And if you have further questions about that or whatever, uh, once again, you can park next to the people in our parking lot here, just like you would if you were going to the grocery store. Everyone parks next to one another because you're not staying in the car. You're getting out of your car and bringing your chairs. We will have some uh, first touch people out there to help direct, and we'll have some other safety folks out there. So going to be a great, great day. I pray you're looking forward to it, and I'm excited about it. Well, as we get into our message today with Joseph, We're going to be continuing with a wonderful, wonderful theme today that has to do with some really personal things in life. And part of the human experience is just dealing with sin. And we find 
that's been a pervasive issue in the, in the lives of Joseph's brothers. Let's pick up today in Genesis 42, verses 25 through 28. The word of God says, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. Put each man's silver back in his sack and give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. The place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? And so we get to see what is taking place after these brothers unexpectedly find out that they are in need of some real, real help here. And what we have with this, in essence, is a dynamic that exists in life. Unrepentant sin follows a person everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're back in Israel or in Egypt or in Jerusalem or the United States, no matter where you are, unrepentant sin follows a person everywhere. And you'll notice it says their hearts sank. They turned to each other trembling. They knew they were in trouble. What is this? Here's the silver that is there thinking that perhaps they're going to get really punished because that silver is missing. They don't even know the half of it yet. But I want you to see something, you know, because it does beg the question. We can go up that next slide. It begs the question after they say, what is this that God has done to us? They understand that their actions, even from years ago, that there's a sowing and a reaping. And Joseph's brothers were alarmed. Listen to this. They were alarmed over something that was ultimately for their good. But they don't know it. What's happening to them is ultimately for their good. They don't think that it is. They think it's going to be harmful. They're dreading it. They're trembling because they know that Simeon's back there. And their brother's life may be at stake if Joseph said, wait a minute, where's that other silver? And would take their brother's life. Or when they brought their brother back, they might have retribution against him. They don't know. But they know something's really wrong. Have you ever thought about the fact when you read something about into your own life about the future or what's going to take place, that perhaps like these brothers, we may be missing the fact that something was going to be ultimately for our good. You see, that was God's care over them, putting that silver in there. Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. You know that. Let's look at it all together. The Word of God says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, only God can make a promise like that. I can't, you can't, but God can. And believing friend, you either stand on that or you don't. You either look at that and say, God, I believe that. It's not saying the thing that's happening is good. It's saying that God can take that and bring good from it. 
Have you ever thought about this? What if Joseph's brothers knew about everything that happened to Joseph? You ever thought about that? What if they knew that the second they saw Joseph, or what if they heard word about that before they ever got to Egypt? They may not have been brought to really deal with their sin. Because right now, according to the text, they think Joseph is dead, that he is no more. They think he's dead. But Joseph's not dead. They think he is. And so they're thinking that sin of Joseph's death that they brought about is placed upon them. Now, they still sold him. They still, they did horrible things. But thinking that he is dead and finding this silver, they're brought to really deal with their sin. God brought some awareness into their life so they really have to deal with their sin. And I touched on some of the ramifications if Joseph, someone who has the power to take their lives, decides, well, they don't know that Joseph put the the silver there, but if they think that Joseph believes that they stole from him, he's got Simeon, and it's going to be all over for Simeon. So they know what's come upon us, and they're starting to feel the pain of that sin. You see, unrepentant sin follows a person everywhere. So let me ask us all a question. What if we knew all of God's pathway for our lives? Would we miss some life-changing lessons? What if we knew all the paths for our lives? I remember becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you are out there that came to Christ at a later stage in life. I was college age. Some of you were later than that. But it makes no difference what stage you came. My testimony is I came to Christ at that stage. I went to a religious school eight years before that, taught something that was not biblical. I'm being transparent and honest with you. But when I got saved, when I put my faith in the system, I was lost. When I put my faith in the Savior, I became a believer. You had to, to discard the system was like cutting myself loose and falling without a parachute. That's what it felt like. But I knew Jesus was the only one that could save me. But I didn't know when I did that that I would get to a point where God had called me to go study his word that I would be disowned by my family. I didn't know that. I didn't know God's pathway for my life. And so many people read that as just the worst thing in the world. Oh my goodness, maybe you should really study. Don't go. Your family said, if you go to study, your dad has said, if you go to study the Bible, you're disowned. You're fired. You're out of the house. Don't come back. And so there it was. And reading what other people were saying, had I done that, maybe I would have stayed. I don't know. But I knew God said he'd take care of me. And seeing being cut off from that, Seeing what God would have for me, I didn't know how he'd provide, but I learned some very valuable lessons, some life-changing lessons because of what happened to me that people would say, that was an awful thing that happened to you. Well, I learned one thing. Ketchup's got a lot of uses, including uh, making a, uh, a tolerable, well, a somewhat intolerable soup when you squeeze it in water and put some lemon juice in it, heat it on a light bulb. 
I've learned how to squeeze more clothes into a washing machine to where the center ones don't even get wet. I learned something about keeping chick, uh, chicken bones and putting them in water, heating them on that same light bulb. And I got to tell you something. God showed me he'd provide, even when I was looking for deposit bottles to buy a loaf of bread. I learned some of the best lessons in life that God will provide because of my life circumstances. And if we just knew all of the pathways God had for us, I wonder if we'd miss some life-changing lessons. Because you see, faith has to be tested where the heart hasn't already been tested. It has to be tested where there's possible failure, possible hurt, possible cost. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. A lot of us are in that situation right now for some different reasons. And so we might be spared some pain if we knew all of God's pathways. But I will bet you that we would miss some of those life changing lessons. And some of the things I learned in those hard pathways of life that I didn't see coming stick with me to this very day. If there's any good that God has built into me, it is because he did build them into me and he showed me he's faithful. And he showed me, listen, the world, Joe, tells you, uh, show me and I'll believe. But I said to you, believe and I'll show you. And he did. That's been a great thing. God's no respecter of persons. He's been doing that in your lives, hasn't he? That's what our God does. Joseph's brothers understood their circumstances to mean something that it wasn't. And maybe you're in a situation right now that you're understanding these circumstances mean something that it's really not. God may be shaping you on the anvil of a testing, the anvil of a hurt, the anvil anvil of frustration and disillusionment. But God is there for you. Romans 8, 28 is still there. And some of the most valuable lessons that I have learned in life have come because of God's faithfulness taking me down a pathway I probably never would have gone down. I couldn't have predicted, but God was there through it. He took me through it. Whether it's been cancer, whether it's been familial things, whether it's been hurt, whether it's been disillusionment, God has shown me, stay true to me. I will always be there for you. Stay true. Valuable life lessons. You've learned them, haven't you? And we're in the process of learning and God's never through teaching us about those moments. In Genesis 42, 29 through 32, the word of God says, when they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that happened to them. They said, the man who was Lord over the land spoke harshly to us. Imagine them talking about speaking harshly. But anyway, and treated us as though we were spying on the land. Yeah, after you treated your brother like he was a criminal. Nonetheless, aren't we our best own defense lawyers, aren't we? But they're lying, aren't they? But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Wow. Do you see? One of our brothers is no more. We sold him and probably in slavery, they worked him to death. He's gone, he's dead or as good as dead. We see this story. 
one who is no more. Do you see why I started when I was starting this message? Unrepentant sin follows a person everywhere. Look at the wound that is open up. One who is no more. Well, who is that? It's the one you sold. It's the one you wanted to kill. It's the one who did nothing wrong that you went ahead and did that ugly thing to. And the old wound is opened up. It's opened up because they have not come to repentance yet. It's opened up because they haven't told Jacob what really happened. That's opened up because if they had dealt with it right off the bat, even after they did it, there could have been forgiveness. Joseph could have been brought back and saved decades of heartache. But the wound is opened up. Unrepentant sin follows a person everywhere. Think about it, even in the short term. Let's look at the apostle Peter. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered. See how God made our brains? Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He made a promise with his mouth and wrote a check with his mouth that his actions couldn't cash. That's what happened. And we all do it from time to time. Not that any of us get it done perfectly. It's just interesting how the sin can come back. And it follows us everywhere. Unrepentant sin does. And that's why the Lord comes back to Peter, so Peter and asks him three times if he loves him because he wants to get Peter to the point that he feels it in his heart, that he's a truly repentant man for what he, for what he did. These brothers haven't felt it yet. They have some regret because they've been caught. You see, then Peter remembered. It came back to mind. It's the trap of sin. Not only is the ramification of sinning before God, which ultimately makes it the most wrong of all wrongs, but in our conscience, the way God made us. Peter remembered, and we remembered, and the brothers remembered, and it followed them everywhere, into the land, outside of the land, period. Unbelievable what sin can do to us. Now, when we come and look at this next passage, Maybe there'll be some things in yourself that you'll see. Some of this in varying degrees may live in all of us, but I want you to see it because it's important. It's very important. Look at this passage in verses 33 through 36. Then the man who was Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, They were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Mark these words down. 
This is what Jacob says as he prays this prayer as it was. He says, everything is against me. Everything is against me still exists in our world, doesn't it? Everything is against me. One of the issues that Jacob had to deal with was a sin of despondency. In our day and time, I imagine there's scores of people dealing with despondency over what they see happening in our nation, over perhaps the fact they've been furloughed, laid off, wondering what the future's going to be, what's happening with their health. There's a lot of despondency I have just from many of the people that I've spoken with as part of what my calling is in life. I hear it. I speak with people. I talk to people in the community. I talk to our members. There's lots of it out there. Everything is against me. I want you to hear this. A weakness in Jacob's character was this idea of being despondent. And this is for you and it's for me. These next words, these next sentences, whatever you take into this, through this, and on the other side of what's taking place, listen to this. Unless there is faith and hope in Almighty God, despite all circumstances and appearances, all that the earth has to offer will crumble away beneath our feet. It's worth looking at and repeating to all of us. It's just important. Unless there is faith and hope and almighty God, despite all circumstances and appearances, all that the earth has to offer will crumble beneath our feet. There's some things crumbling beneath our feet now some of us thought would never happen, right? We've all read the Bible. We know about the book of Revelation. We know in the last days scoffers will come. We know about lots of things that are taking place things that are unrelated in our day and world to what took place in another city, but are dealing with anarchy, dealing with people that don't want to take responsibility to protect people. I'm just being honest. Can I just be honest? That's true. Jacob became despondent. Everything is against me. Now, I want to put this up lest it sound judgmental, I want to put this up against what God already told him as we continue to move on. In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus tells us something that's been so important through all the seasons of life, through all these hundreds and thousands of years. But I want you to look at it again in light of what's happening in our world today. I want you to look at this passage in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I'm going to read the next part in just a moment and ask you, is your foundation on The rock. Is it on the rock? Because the storms are here. There's personal storms. There's national storms, uh, statewide storms. There's financial storms. There's all kinds of things going on. But Jesus said, the storms come, the winds rise. He describes the worst type of catastrophic things that can happen. But if your house is built upon the rock, you're going to be able to stand. 
The rock is Jesus Christ. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, not a system, not a set of rules, not your own work on your way to heaven, but you humbly bow down to the only one that is worthy of being worshiped, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, and say, Jesus, I am worthy to go to hell, but you love me. You took all of my sin to the cross. You bled and died in my place and rose three days later. God, I'm going to put my faith and trust because I believe you. I'm not going to call you a liar, even though I don't feel like I'm worthy of it because I'm not. And even though I don't feel like my sins are all not paid for, but they are, I'm going to trust that you did that. And when I stand before you one day, I'll say, Jesus, the only way I've got to heaven, that I'm here right now, is because you paid for all of my sin. God, thank you that you allowed me to serve you out of gratitude, out of blessing, out of obedience for what you already did for me. Thank you. So if you built it on the rock, you have built it on the right place. But Jesus goes on in the Matthew 7 passage. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Do you realize how many people in this world are building their house on sand? The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Have you ever seen those buildings? They implode and fall down, and the smoke comes up. It fell with a great crash. And we're watching things crash all around us. But our, our house is built upon the rock. And if your life's built upon that, that is something you can count on no matter what happens. God will take care of you. Don't let the spirit of the despondency bring you down in any length of time. Yes, you can have some temporary times you can look at some things and just scratch your head. But know this, ultimately, ultimately, God has allowed us to build our lives on the foundation that none else can be built on except Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at that passage and see how Jesus teaches us, we get to understand something about what Jacob's doing. Jacob cast his despondent remark upon God in spite of all that God had promised and done for him. This is where it gets real personal. God has promised us an awful lot of things also, hasn't he? He said, I take care of birds, I'm going to take care of you. I clothe fields, I'll clothe you. I will supply all of your needs. You can go on and on and on. But I'll show you pointedly in Scripture what God said to Jacob. And he hurled this insult upon God. Everything's against me, even though God told him. When you go back to Genesis 32, because I looked it up, I said, this is not right. Genesis 32, 11 and 12. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. This is Jacob speaking. For I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, as he's talking to God, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. God already promised him blessing. God didn't say everything's against you. God gives him the blessing. But Jacob misses casting his life upon the blessing and cast his life into despondency and insults God himself. Now, What we see here, 
we see someone else biblically that was tried with greater sorrows than Jacob ever had. And his name is Job. And yet his conviction is found in Job 13, 15. Job 13, 15. I want you to see it. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. You see, God's looking for people like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. People like Job, when all else is gone, but it looks like there's no hope, they say, we're going to go into the fire, whether God saves us or not. Because ultimately, we will be saved. God will save us in the fire, through the fire, out of the fire. Makes no difference. You may be down. And part of this message is gearing to the dynamic of despondency. What's going on? What happens if this happens, that happens, this happens? Well, dear Christian friend, I, I don't know if I can say this positively. Let me just say this in a general way. Many Christians are lazy Christians, disobedient Christians, looking for something else or someone else to do something. You have a responsibility to get out there just like I do and tell the truth. Speak the truth in all areas of life not to be a compromiser, not to do something that you think you can placate something on or pander on something or do something that you hope will appease someone else for your own self-good. Tell the truth, starting with who Jesus is, starting with what life is about, what a family is, what the Bible says. Standing on the rock. There's compromisers all around this world that compromise everything. And Jacob appears to have lacked the faith of Abraham, who was willing to give up Isaac, wasn't he? He was willing to give it up. Now, Jacob will recover to a fuller faith. And perhaps that's speaking to you. Because they say, Pastor, you know what? Yes, I've, had, I've been despondent about some things. Well, Jacob is going to recover to a fuller faith. And part of this message dealing with this dynamic is we can also. We can once again get grounded on the rock, grounded in the word, period. There's a novel that Victor Hugo wrote years ago called 93. It deals, it's about the French Revolutionary War. And in one of these chapters... It's talking about this ship that's caught in this incredible storm. And the ship, it's very dangerous, obviously, in the days of sailing ships. It's incredibly dangerous. And they hear this incredible battering against the side of the ship and suddenly realize there's a loose cannon. There's a loose cannon below. But who's going to go down there when the ship is getting tossed back and forth and smashing into the side of this, who has the courage to go down there and try and get this cannon and steady it so that's not happening? And two soldiers risk their lives. They get on their way down the stairs. They realize something. And it's what believers need to realize. The cannon within 
is way more dangerous than the storm without. The cannon within that could break through that ship and sink it before it ever has a chance to be tossed over on its side, the cannon within is way more dangerous than the cannon, than the storm without. So I ask you today, is there something battering against the edges of your mind? I know we all see the storm. I know we've all been involved in a storm. But do you realize that there's something inside of us that can be far more dangerous, dangerous than that, and it's despondency. It's saying to God, even though he's promised us to go with us wherever we go, that we can kind of cast that aside and look at the storm more than the cannon inside that's beating us up. Today may be a great day just to go to your Lord and say, God, thank you. I saw in your word that my house, I, just a reminder, God, thank you. My house is built upon the rock. It's going to stand. God, my faith and trust is in you, not in the system. Thank you. And God, yes, I want to do my part. I don't want to be a a secret agent for you. I want to be a real soldier. I want to be able to risk my life like some men did going down in a ship to steady the cannon. I want to do what's right. I want to speak the truth, even though it may not be popular. I want to be one that stands up for you and do what's right. And I pray you're encouraged with that. I pray that courage through the Holy Spirit enters your heart. You say, I'm going to bind that spirit of despondency. I'm not going to insult and curse God. Everything's against me, as Jacob said. Be a Job, be a Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Even Peter, after his failure, came to be a great man of God. So don't think if you've been in that the dumps with some of the junk, There's no hope for you. We've all been there. If you haven't been, God bless you. I've been there. We've all been there. I know this. I stand upon the rock and you stand upon the rock. And when you do, the storm will come. All the other things will take place. I'm not going to sink from within because God will steady the cannon inside of you and make you stand on the rock that cannot be shattered, broken, or torn down. God bless you as you live for him. Have a blessed 4th of July weekend. Thank you for being with us today.